Lift your glad voices indeed. What a pure joy it is to be here today in worship. What a pure, unadulterated joy to celebrate resurrection in a world full of death and destruction and violence and evil. I don't have to rehash the long list of sorrows that are on our minds and in our world of awareness, even in our immediate experience. From personal health to grief to politics to disaster to war, we come this morning looking for relief for good news to outshine the bad. And we get exactly that, especially in the hymns we sing. Just looking over the hymn text that we just sang, it's like everything dark and death-like is obliterated. Vain are the terrors. Short is the dominion of death and the grave. Burst are the fetters of evil. Loud is the chorus of angels. Full are the anthems. Cheered is the deep valley of sorrow. Jesus has risen and we shall not die. And now you are expecting me to say, but, but I won't. I will say instead, and, because I do want to name another part of the image on the screen in front of us today, if you can imagine that, to name that without deleting a single pixel of joy, without darkening one bright and colorful dot of the picture that we've just been making with scripture, song, and prayer. And I think it's obvious to all of us that there is more to be said. Because even though we proclaim today that all creation turns because of the resurrection, we also know that Putin's horrific war against Ukraine is not going to go silent tomorrow. The tornadoes are not going to stop destroying towns and families. Our grievous losses are not suddenly going to become undone. So here it is. Jesus has risen and we shall not die. And the resurrection should give us pause because it asks something of us that's not easy to give. Yes, the world has turned, bringing us pure joy and bringing a new reality that not all of us are ready for. I hope if you've been with us for our journey through John's gospel that you aren't acting too surprised right now We've been looking at a whole series of turnings in John, nearly all of which 
advance God's purposes in some important way, but also brought with them some new and painful reality. The same is true with resurrection. I won't call it a downside, because I really don't think that it is. But it's a reality that we need to face together. Resurrection means opening ourselves to a whole new horizon. Resurrection means God is turning the world as we know it on its head. Resurrection means saying goodbye to a world where we are familiar with the landscape and comfortable with its contours. Parker Palmer, in his book, The Act of Life, ends with a chapter entitled, Threatened with Resurrection. He got his inspiration from a poem of the same title by Julia Esquivel, a Guatemalan poet and theologian. Palmer comments that sometimes we cling to our pathologies because in some way they are useful to us. He calls our pathologies or our illusions little deaths, which we somehow prefer over a new and transformed life because we sometimes benefit from our illusions. Resurrection puts us to the test. It tests our willingness to move into new territory, to live a larger life than the one we are so familiar with. Now, we would never say that death and defeat are good things, of course, but at least they're somewhat understandable. They're part of this familiar landscape of life. Resurrection forces us out of our comfort zone onto a whole new uncharted expanse of land. That probably explains the reaction of Peter and John when they confronted the empty tomb. The resurrection story that we heard and saw from John 20 makes a point of the fact that Peter and the other disciple, we presume, John, saw the empty tomb and its linens and believed, says in verse 8. They believed, but they didn't understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead, verse 9. So what did they do when faced with confusing evidence? Their response in verse 10 then the disciples returned to their homes. They went back to the familiar. The safe environment of a house with doors that lock seemed better than standing in an open tomb in the presence of resurrection, which suddenly felt threatening, I think. They couldn't just stay there in that place where their world looked like it was about to be turned upside down. By contrast, Mary Magdalene found it within herself to stay at the tomb, 
to linger with this strange, threatening, and unknown reality. It says in verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she was rewarded with an encounter. By staying there at the empty tomb, despite her fear and confusion, she first met the angels, and then she met Jesus. Because she persisted. She was the first one the risen Jesus appeared to. And she was called by name, Mary. And she was able to go back to the other disciples and report with confidence, I have seen the Lord. Let's be like Mary. When we see signs of resurrection where we don't expect them, let's linger. Let's stay with what might even frighten us or trouble us. When we detect the scent of new life where we expect death, let's stay long enough to go deeper, to step inside the empty tomb and look around. If we are purposeful and attentive, we might just encounter the risen Jesus. To stay at the empty tomb could mean different things, of course, for different people. For you, it might mean that we open the door to our grief a little wider, showing it hospitality instead of shutting it off. It may mean daring to confront some darkness in our own lives instead of avoiding it. It may mean a new level of vulnerability with someone else. It may mean taking a bold and risky action in relation to some injustice. But probably in every case, it means daring to ask ourselves some challenging questions. Parker Palmer asked himself these three questions in his chapter on Threatened with res Resurrection. He asked himself these questions. If I lived as if resurrection were real and allowed myself to die for the sake of new life, what might I be called upon to do? What strange and difficult tasks might be laid upon me? What comforts might be taken away? How might my life be changed? Believing the resurrection is only the beginning. Peter and John were able to do that. Simply by seeing the empty tomb, they believed but they returned home. We too can believe there is resurrection and 
then go back home to life as usual. It doesn't require much risk or sacrifice to do that. May God give us the courage to not just look quickly at the empty tomb and believe, but to say then yes to God's invitation to stay and be transformed by that new reality and to live the resurrection life. In resurrection, there is both threat and promise. The risen Lord Jesus Christ not only asks us to lay down our own agenda and take the risk of walking toward an unknown horizon, the risen Christ makes a promise to us. I will walk with you. I will never leave or forsake you. You can trust me. You can breathe in my spirit. My life is your life. That's the promise. So let us rejoice and laugh and sing and be glad that Christ has risen, but let us never take it lightly. Julia Esquivel, the Guatemalan poet I referred to a few minutes ago in her poem, Threatened by Resurrection, described resurrection this way. There is something here within us which doesn't let us sleep, which doesn't let us rest, which doesn't stop pounding deep inside. If the idea of being resurrection people keeps us awake at night, heart pounding, we might just be on the right track. May God give us courage. May God give us grace. Grace.